Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Today God speaks to us from Job 19, verses 13 through 27. He has alienated my family from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have gone away. My closest friends have forgotten me. My guest and my female servants count me a foreigner and they look on me as on a stranger. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with all my mouth, with my own mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own family. Even the little boys scorn me when I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me, those I have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends, have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved and rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin and bones are destroyed yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Grateful for all of you here. Thank you so much for joining us this Easter Sunday. Um, We are, uh, of course, so grateful for the celebration that we get to do together uh, with the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, And this passage starts as a bit of a downer, if you didn't quite notice. After all of the uh, celebration that we've done, after all that we've uh, already said so far about what Jesus has accomplished Here we are, coming to a passage that again reminds us of the great despair that we experience, the pain and the suffering that we experience. And for those of you that have been uh, with us over the last several weeks, this mic's going to drive me crazy. Hang on. Let me switch over. There, there we go. For those of you that uh, have been with us over the last several weeks, you know that we have been in a series uh, in the book of Job. And last week, we kind of wrapped up that series, but there's this very beautiful, unique passage uh, right in the middle of Job that we just heard read in Job 19. Uh, And it's that passage that we want to come back to today, because if you've been with us uh, over the course of that series, uh, we've been wrestling through some things, particularly we've been wrestling through the notion of suffering. You know, what is suffering? Why do we suffer? Uh, if, if God exists at all, and if, if he is who the Bible claims him to be, which is to be a good and just and righteous God, why does he allow suffering to befall all of us? And each week, what we've attempted to do is we've tried to answer those questions from a, a very uniquely Christian perspective. 
And what we've seen over the course of that time is that while there are some answers available to us, there are also many questions that ultimately uh, get left unanswered. Uh, but what we've seen throughout Job is that suffering was not the result of his unrighteousness. Uh, suffering was not the result of God's injustice. And in fact, the suffering that we saw all throughout the book of Job was not by the hand of God at all. Rather, what we've seen is that evil and suffering are ultimately um, glitches in the system in which we live. That death itself, you know, we, we speak of death being natural, but from a, a biblical Christian perspective, death is not normal. It is not natural. It is a glitch in the system in which we live. They are the, they are the result of a world not um, the way that God intended it to be. They are misalignments from God's creative intention. And they're reminders that the world as we know it is not our truest home. It is not the way things should be. Instead, what we've seen is that our truest home is, to be ref is reflected in the kingdom of God. It is a, a restored and a renewed creation. But what I want to do for the next few moments is I want to consider what does that look like? How are we to best understand uh, the hope of the Christian faith, which is life beyond death? And what does any of that have to do with Easter today? Well, here in our passage, we get a glimpse of that. For Job and for all people, what this passage does is it gives us a glimpse into Christian hope. Now, what I find uh, fascinating about this passage is that uh, we've said this, but the, the book of Job is likely uh, recording some of the oldest stories uh, of the Bible. Right? These stories chronicle events uh, that took place many, many years before some of the most well-known figures of the Bible, well before Moses, well before the institution of the law, well before the founding of Israel. This story is from thousands and thousands of years before Jesus. And while this might be a little bit of a side note, I just want to point out the fact that the Bible, one of the miracles of the Bible is that over the course of an entire, the entire Bible, there is a continuity and a consistency and an unwavering arc of the Bible storyline that again is nothing short of a miracle. And I think we take this for granted, actually, the Bible as we know it. The Bible as we know it has developed over the course of about 1,500 years uh, across 40 different generations. It was written by 40 different authors, including kings and peasants and fishermen and poets and political leaders and philosophers and scholars and prophets and scribes. It was written um, over uh, on three different continents in two different civilizations, both East and Western civilizations. It was written in three different languages, in Aramaic and Hebrew and Greek. And yet, despite all that diversity, all that time, the Bible, nonetheless, tells one single story, one consistent narrative with one particular aim. What is that? How is that so? Well, look at our, our passage. Again, in the midst of all of his suffering, uh, Job is struggling. And he's struggling with why he is suffering and the likelihood that death is before him. And as he's struggling, Look again at verse 25, he says, after describing all that he has endured, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. 
I and not another. My heart yearns within me. Here's what I find fascinating. In some of the earliest records, the earliest stories of the Bible, Job speaks of a redeemer who lives. He says that in the end, this redeemer will stand on the earth. Though Job's skin and flesh will be destroyed, he will nonetheless, with his own flesh and eyes, see God. These are the things that Job is describing thousands of years before Jesus. And his, that his eyes would be, his eyes in this moment, even before Jesus has come, are they're fixed on the power of the resurrection. His eyes are fixed on the hope of a redeemer. And this fixation on what is to come is part of what led Job to find hope in the midst of his suffering. He knew no matter what might come, that there was hope of resurrection power on the other side of death. But here is the thing. Job's faith was rooted in what he believed would come. Meaning, while he trusted that God had the power to raise the dead, that God could make a way for him to be face to face with God and to see God with his own eyes and that his Redeemer could actually walk the earth, his belief in such things were just that. They were beliefs. And so he ends this exclamation with verse 27 where he says again, my heart yearns within me. Right? He desperately wanted these beliefs to come true, to be substantiated, for him to be vindicated for holding such beliefs. But do you know what would ultimately vindicate the beliefs that we just heard read from Job? It would be the very thing that we celebrate today. Because it is in Jesus that we see the fullest expression of what Job's heart yearned for. I mean, Jesus Christ is the Redeemer who stood on the earth. Jesus is the one whose skin and flesh were destroyed, but in the power of the resurrection experienced a restoration of that flesh. He is the one who, in his ascension, in his embodied ascension, meaning his actual body returning to the heavens, is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he sees that which could never be seen by Job, which is the actual face of God, Jesus Christ, the one in whom Job hoped thousands of years before his coming. And Jesus Christ is the one who vindicated Job's beliefs in the power of that coming resurrection. But here's what's important for us today. That while Job's hope was rooted in something that would occur thousands of years after his life, our hope is rooted in something that actually did already occur. Our hope is not rooted in what we hope will happen. Rather, our hope is rooted in what did happen, which is the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And so for one, how much more should we have this hope that Job had knowing that we can point back to a resurrection that has already occurred in the, in the midst of evil and suffering and strife that will inevitably befall all of us. How much more should we be able to hold to this hope as we look back at the resurrection of Jesus? And as we face suffering and even death, to be able to say with great confidence these words that Job has said, that I know my Redeemer lives. And that's, in the end, he will stand on the earth. 
And that after my skin has been destroyed, yet my flesh, in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. You know, I, I love that verse because it reminds us that yes, we are going to die. Yet despite death, there is hope that our eyes, eyes that will be destroyed will also be eyes that will be restored so that we might see God. The resurrection of Jesus was the hope for Job and it remains our hope today. But there's another thing that I wanna point out here is the extent to which you and I, even as we talk about these things and celebrate these things every year, we actually have no categories for understanding the extent to which Jesus' resurrection impacts our lives and the world in which we live. Meaning, you know, I started out earlier saying that our truest home is reflected in the kingdom of God, which is this restored and renewed creation. See, the resurrection of Jesus proves the power of that coming resurrection, a resurrection that we can experience personally, but it's also proof that there is power for a resurrection of the entire cosmos. Again, we have no categories for understanding what a restored, renewed resurrection universe and earth would even be. But in Romans 8, Paul describes something fascinating. Paul, when, he, when speaking about and thinking about the resurrection, Jesus, the cross of Christ and the resurrection. He says that creation itself will be, deliver, will be liberated from the bondages to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, as God restores and redeems his children, so also will the entire creation be liberated from the decay to which it has been subjected. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, the famous passage where Paul is speaking about the coming, uh, the resurrection of Jesus and its implications. Paul emphasizes the notion of the power of the resurrection by saying this. I think we have that uh, for the screen. He says, and the dead will rise imperishable. It will be changed, verse 53, for the, the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. In other words, the decay of death will be no more. But then he goes on to say, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that it is written will come true that death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, death has no power over us. Death has no power over creation. And as a result, Paul concludes, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Giving our lives to this resurrected Christ is to receive the fullness of that power of resurrection. The last thing I want us to see is I want us to have a glimpse, not only of what a resurrection for ourselves might look like, but what it actually looks like for this resurrection power to impact the cosmos. And probably the best place for, for us to have a, a vision of that resurrection is actually in the book of Revelation. Revelation is a glimpse into this ultimate end of Job's humble, humble beliefs. This man of ancient times spoke of things that he could not even fathom. 
We speak of it often, but in uh, Revelation 19 through 20, it speaks of a day when Christ will return, and when he does, he comes as this powerful warrior king and judge to crush the head of injustices and sin and evil. And then in Revelation 21, we are given a picture of heaven. Heaven being that restored creation, not where we ascend up to some heavenly city, but rather where a heavenly city descends down to us. In other words, heaven is a, is a creation restored where the presence of God literally and tangibly is on earth. An earth without corruption, without sin, without evil, without suffering or death. Again, a world that we cannot comprehend. But then in Revelation 22, we see Job's ultimate hope come to fruition. You know, Job in verse 26, he says again, that after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Well, in Revelation 22, listen to the picture of this new creation, the fulfillment of Job's longing. The Apostle John says this. He says, Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great streets of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. Let me just pause there for a minute. Do you hear the tangibility of this scene? Right? It's such a beautiful picture of what resurrection life to this world looks like. But then he goes on. He says, because there, is, uh, there will uh, be, I'm sorry, no longer will there be any curse. And hear this, my friends. For this is Job's great hope being fulfilled, that the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. And what will happen then? They will see his face. One of the oldest stories of the Bible, speaking of a hope of a coming day, is pictured here in the final book of the Bible, here in Revelation. And all of it is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus this is the hope of the resurrection. This is what we celebrate today. We celebrate our Redeemer, our Redeemer who lives and who extends to those who trust in Him and rest in Him the promise of this coming day that we too, with our own eyes, will see the face of God. And like Job, there might be times when we doubt, when uncertainties creep in. And one of the things I find fascinating is it took thousands of years for Job's beliefs to be vindicated. And we may end up passing over out of this life with all kinds of answers not uh, given to us, all kinds of questions still sitting out there. But the hope is when we root our trust and we rest in the work of Jesus, particularly in his resurrection, we can know that this is what is to come. And though there may be times where our hearts cry out like Job's, that, that our hearts yearn within us for this coming day. The hope of the resurrection, rooted in something that has already occurred, is that we too will experience that same resurrection power. And so if you're here and you have trusted in Jesus, I'd encourage you today to look again upon his resurrection and to be encouraged that these promises of what is to come are yours, rooted in the work of Jesus on our behalf. And if you're here, and maybe you have not trusted in Jesus, 
You have not actually seen him as this savior who has come and died and rose again for you. I pray that you would. I pray that you would discover what it means to experience the actual significance of this day, a day where a resurrected king is celebrated, a living redeemer who is restoring all things, because these promises can be yours as well as you hope and trust in the work of Jesus. And so may this day have great significance for us, even in the midst of pain and suffering and even death because of our Redeemer lives. He has walked the earth, he will walk this earth again, and we shall see him with our own eyes. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the power of the resurrection. We thank you that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit who is here now among us. For those of us that trust in Jesus, it is the same spirit that lives within us. And though at times we may feel like Job, struggling, wrestling with the suffering that continues to remain in this world, may we also be like Job, clinging to hope, knowing that there is life after death for those who trust in Jesus. Give us eyes to see a resurrected Jesus. And give us hope, even in the midst of despair. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.